This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. The biggest takeaway I had from the Last Dance series premiere last night can be summed up by a tweet that Thomas Davis sent out. He said, Jerry Krause equals Dave Gettleman. And yes, both are easy targets for physical humor. Just search all the Gettleman memes, and I knew there'd be a lot of Kraus slander last night when the first shot of the dock of Kraus was him disoriented in a parking lot, awkwardly stumbling into a raggedy sedan. But I also think neither guy gets enough credit. Strangely enough, I have a higher opinion of Gettleman than most people. I view Gettleman as somebody who cleaned up a messy cap situation for Carolina, Herney, Peng, Stewart, and Williams, and giving too much money out, which put them in just a hellscape for the next handful of years. Gettleman, he's all evaluation, little people skills. He comes in and... He gives Carolina a chance to be competitive with an all-time talent at quarterback. And Carolina goes to a Super Bowl. Gettleman deserves a lot of credit for that. Jerry Krause deserves a lot of credit getting the Chicago Bulls to a point where they can win titles. It was conveniently left out that Krause traded for Scottie Pippen. It was conveniently left out that In addition to hiring Doug Collins as the head coach, he brought in a little-known coach, I think from the ABA, and Phil Jackson had him coaching. I think he was coaching a team in North Dakota. Robert, see if you can find what team Phil Jackson was coaching in the 80s before he got hired on Doug Collins' staff as an assistant. Before, right after the ELO shot for Jordan before they didn't advance to the finals that year, it was Kraus deciding to move off of Collins and promote Jackson with no NBA head coaching experience to become the Bulls head coach. Where was he? He was coaching the Albany Patroons. The Albany Patroons. Ah, yes. How was that left out? It wouldn't have been convenient while everybody's dunking on Kraus to bring up the fact that Phil Jackson didn't have any NBA head coaching experience when he was promoted as an assistant on Doug Collins' staff. And oh yeah, while Scottie Pippen's berating Krause from the back of the bus, it probably wouldn't be the best time to bring up he traded for Pippen in the first place for him to become a Chicago Bull. But putting that aside for a second, we're just getting this show off the ground. And the one thing Aaron objects to that I said is not praise of Gettleman Not even praise of Kraus, but me calling his sedan raggedy? Let me tell you something, Josh Grant. That was a priceless, mint condition Cadillac DeVille. Looks identical to the one I went to Memphis in some years back. It was scuffed on the side. So you hold your tongue when you talk about Cadillac DeVilles like that. It was scuffed on the side of the car. quality automobile. It's ridiculous. Kraus and Gettleman... Why I think it's a really good comparison is because of this. They had the same Achilles heel. All evaluation, no people skills. Kraus, he's this awkward guy who might have a nice car, according to Aaron, but he's getting clowned by players. I don't even know if he knows that he's getting clowned by Jordan and Scotty. Do you think he knows when Jordan's asking, hey, are those your diet pills? Hey, man, do you want to shoot layups with us? We can lower the rim. Do you think he's aware that he's getting dunked on by MJ? Oh, absolutely. I could tell by the look on his face when MJ asked him about those pills that kept him so short. He was not pleased. He absolutely knew it. Gettleman, he was a cutthroat person. Cutthroat with the evaluation of people. And that's how it has to happen. Collins was a likable guy in the late 80s, early 90s, but he had to part ways with them. MJ even talked about how tough of a decision it was to trade away Charles Oakley. 
But there's no question it was the right decision for Chicago. With Carolina, Gettleman absolutely made the right decision parting ways with Steve Smith. He made the right call. I think it's justified. On D'Angelo, Jonathan Stewart, Josh Norman, he was proven with that. Now, the manner in which he goes about parting ways with these guys, that's fair game, and it's open criticism. But the evaluation itself, I think, is sound. Last year, I don't think Gettleman made a mistake in his evaluation of Daniel Jones being better than Dwayne Haskins. Who's disagreeing with that today? People clown Gettleman for making that pick, but I don't think anybody today would say definitively Haskins is better than Daniel Jones. But the day after that draft, everyone seemed convinced Gettleman's a clown and doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to quarterbacks. Even the year before that, oh, how can you pick a running back number two? Saquon absolutely was the right pick. Carolina drafted a running back. It was Gettleman's last first-round pick with Carolina, and that guy's name was Christian McCaffrey. I think we'll say, I think history will say, that's a pretty good pick. So while these guys are easy to clown because they're awkward, they don't have people skills, they might be physically funny, there might be some physical comedy there, great talent evaluators, and unfortunately, in today's sports, especially in the NFL and NBA, that's not enough. In baseball, it is. One of my favorite movies is Moneyball. And I love the scene where Brad Pitt is in the office with Jonah Hill. And he says to him, you need to be on the flights with, with the players. You need to be on flights with the team. I can't develop relationships with these guys because I got to cut them. And I got to trade them. That works in baseball. There are just so many guys, you could pull it off. Not so much in basketball. You have to have a relationship there because the power dynamic is such that it's not going to end well for you if the relationship isn't strong. And ultimately, that's what did Gettleman in. Jerry Richardson built relationships with Greg Olson and Thomas Davis and other guys that Gettleman cut. And it just rose to a point where it became too much. And Gettleman was let go a week before training camp. Lastly, I think Kraus, another thing that hurt him, he was clearly looking forward to a rebuild. This might sound completely out of left field to some people, but general managers enjoy the rebuild almost as much as they enjoy the winning and being on top. Because usually when you're winning, people want to talk about the scholar-athlete or the scholars in school, and give them all the credit. The ones that give the high scores, get the high scores on SATs, not necessarily the teachers. They don't really give the credit to them or to the principal, the people that hold the school down, right? The ones that run things. It's always the athletes that get the credit. In academia, it's always the scholars, and rightfully so. However, in basketball, the only way, really in all sports, the only way the general manager gets the credit is if... He executes the rebuild. That's why I'm convinced if you were to pull all the general managers in the NBA right now and ask what the top five GM jobs in the league are, I bet you Oklahoma City's in the top five because they have all of those draft picks that they acquired from Houston and that they acquired from Oklahoma City, or excuse me, that they acquired from the L.A. Clippers, and the Kawhi Leonard-Paul George exchange there. Paul George going from Oklahoma City to L.A. in order to complete that Kawhi Leonard signing. That would be a top job because people, specifically the general managers, they look forward to rebuilding, and that's where they make their hay. You can tweet the show at SportsUbTriad. 336-777-1600 is the phone number. In just over 20 minutes, we're going to be joined by Bob Ryan. I look forward to his expertise on Michael Jordan. He's one of the foremost authorities on all things basketball from ESPN. It was a massive weekend recruiting-wise for North Carolina. Not just basketball, but also football. Mac Brown, as we discussed on Friday, landed a couple kids from the triad, one of which Robert from West 
Forsyth High School. Hey, look at you. Yeah, knocking that out as they are the number two class nationally for 2021. It seems Mac Brown's unlocked UNC football. I've always thought that they were a sleeping giant considering all the resources that are available, where they're located. Clemson, they bring in all these great players from the state of North Carolina to help build this dynastic run that they've had in the ACC. Tanner Muse, Eric McClain, K.J. Henry in the triad. And now North Carolina's getting those players. Clemson doesn't have a single player in their 2021 class from the state of North Carolina. North Carolina has double-digit four-star players just from this state alone. So Max capitalizing on that, but man, Roy Williams was throwing gas last night on the dot. You gotta think this is gonna help him in recruiting. Roy landed a four-star point guard from Kinston over the weekend, continuing the lineage of Kinston players going to Chapel Hill. That's where Jerry Stackhouse is from. Reggie Bullock's from Kinston. Brandon Ingram was going to become a Tar Heel. I'm dead convinced of that. Uh, but the NCAA cloud was still hanging over North Carolina at that time, so he chose to go to Duke, of course, for a year. Now they land another one of Kinston's finest in this newest recruiting class, 2021. Excuse me, not the 2020 class. Roy's going to pick up some more steam, I'm sure. Everybody's at home watching the MJ doc and seeing Roy talk about MJ. You got to throw gas to make it into a project like this. Bill Clinton, he was called former Arkansas governor. Speaking on this doc, Obama, he was former Chicago resident. Roy Williams, former North Carolina assistant coach when Michael was there. Here's a piece of what it sounds like when Roy's throwing 100. Michael Jordan tells me one day he wants to be the best player to ever played here. And I said, well, you got to work harder than you did in high school. He said, I worked as hard as everybody else. I said, oh, excuse me. I thought you just told me you want to be the best player to ever play here. He said, I'm going to show you. Nobody will ever work as hard as I work. Woo! Aaron, it sounds a lot better when the music is behind it, too. Let's hear more from Roy. I can't pick one moment. And when I think of Michael Jordan, yes, I think of the shot. But I think of three years of watching that youngster get better and better and better. Michael Jordan's the only player that could ever turn it on and off. And he never freaking turned it off. The freakings and daggums, they were on full display. People being introduced to the way that Roy talks. A lot of observations from Jordan's UNC days. Jordan loved to wear stripes. Lover of stripes, Michael Jordan, and his wardrobe. Bike rider, James Worthy, very giving, saying that he was the better player than Michael for maybe two minutes. Maybe it was two weeks. They always leave out the Fred Brown pass from the 82 championship game. No exception in this doc. I love the video from Keenan after they won the 82 championship game. I had never seen that footage before. So a lot of really cool things to get to with the last dance, and we'll do that throughout today's show. Coming up, though, some Panthers intel I got over the weekend that I buy ahead of the draft. This is The Drive. Sports talk. Saluting the fellow sportsmen. If you're talking about it. I'm talking truth. We're talking about it. Who are you talking to? Sports fans everywhere. This is Radio. The Drive with Josh Graham. Here's the thing that I think people don't realize about where this Last Dance documentary is headed. Yesterday was parts, were parts one and two, and a lot of it was just background information on Jordan's days in North Carolina, Scottie Pippen in Arkansas. We haven't really gotten into the meat of this vault of footage they gained in 1997-1998 really consist of. The best stuff from episodes one and two, I thought, were some of the inside shots where Michael Jordan was taking a jab or two at Jerry Krause. You get to see some of the stuff on the buses. You see Phil Jackson and how he's a little bit upset at the start of the year with Scottie Pippen being injured and sidelined. 
So we're just going to see a lot more of that, I think, as time goes on. And hopefully we see a lot more of our next guest, ESPN's Bob Ryan now with us, an NSMA Hall of Famer and board member. Bob, I got to get your thoughts on this. Did you think, based on everything you know about Michael covering the league as long as you did, the documentary so far has done a good job of capturing his essence? Yes, uh, without, without question. And as you people have to understand, they're going to see a lot more of what you described than game footage as a result. That's not the point. You can go YouTube. You know, that's not, that was never the point. It's about the inside. It's about the dynamics of, of how that season unfolded. And in order to make it a full story, they needed to do it. Or they chose to do it in a flashback manner, which I think is fine. I have no problem with that. So, yes, I think that uh, it's off to a terrific start in that regard. Uh, the, the, the cockiness, the thoughtfulness, the occasional arrogance, the occasional uh, uh, ruthlessness, uh, you'll see all, and, and, and the wit that he has acquired, uh, you will see a little bit of all of that as this thing unfolds. What do you view as the greatest performance you've ever watched live from Michael? Oh, it, well, it, it was, for me, live, it would be the game, the 63-point game. Today is the uh, 34th anniversary of that game. Uh, even though he lost the game, uh, I shouldn't say his team did not emerge victorious. They played a far <laughs> better team. Uh, that Consider that they were a 30-52 and 52 team. I mean, they would have been over 500 had he, or, or, or who knows how many games they would have won had he not missed the preponderance of the season. But he was back ready to play by the playoffs. The Celtics were 67-15. and 15. Uh, They are the greatest team of all time prior to the, to the uh, three-point mania era that we are now inhabiting. Uh, but before the game changed completely into what it is today, uh, they are the best team that ever played. In the months of this January, February, March, April, and May of, two, of 86, uh, that's the best basketball you, you, you have ever seen. And yet they were struggling to beat this team the first two games of that series. And the major reason was this kid, Michael Jordan. Bob Ryan with us here from ESPN, and there are just a number of things I found interesting in the doc, one of them being this. The day before his 63-point game in Game 2, he's golfing with Danny Ainge, and I just wonder, what would sports talk radio be like today if we learned Steph and <laughs> LeBron were playing golf together the day before they played each other in the playoffs? There's many what-ifs of that nature, aren't there? Uh, what would it do with Russell and Chamberlain having dinner the night before they played each other in Philadelphia or Boston, which also happened? Uh, yes. Uh, I was surprised when I learned that. And I, wasn't, I didn't learn that yesterday, but when I first did learn it, it was many years after the fact. And I certainly was surprised, sure. Uh, oh, what would it be? It would be a bonanza. It would be, it would be uh, uh, blood in the water for the shark. It would, it would be beyond you know, raw meat. Uh, you know, any analogy you want to use uh, of that nature would apply. So what yeah. changed in the last 35 <laughs> years? What's, what's changed in the last 35 years to make it so that was acceptable back then and today it would be a frenzy? I'm not sure, what's, I'm not sure how acceptable. I mean, there are, you, you, how many times do you hear the old-timers talk about they don't like the way the game's gotten too uh, baseball. Uh, talk about baseball. The game's gotten too chummy. They talk at the point. cages. They, they hug each other. They say, hey, amigo. Uh, you know, they, 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 in a way that was unimaginable in, in, uh, right up into the 60s. Uh, certainly the Red Sox and Yankees of the 70s would never have done a thing like that. So, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's against the grade of the times even. I don't, I, I don't have, I'm not going to be able to shed much light on this for you, Josh. I don't have an answer as to how that <laughs> came about. Unless it was just the absolute unfettered mutual love of golf that those two share. I don't know. <laughs> what is the best MJ story you've been told through the grapevine, kind of like that story right there that you learned years after the fact but didn't learn last night. Give me one. Uh, I'm not a repository of that information, I'm afraid. I, uh, I, I don't know, really. Uh, so when, I, when we first heard that he was flipping out uh, uh, with Coach Doug Collins, who was his second coach, or what, his third coach, excuse me, um, that um, uh, because he, wanted to, he, did, he didn't want to keep scoring them or he kept changing the score to, to, to cheat Michael uh, in, 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 the, in the scrimmages. Uh, that, that still has stuck with me to this day. It told you about the competitiveness of it. Uh, 
God knows I, I'd seen in those days enough practices to know what the nature of them generally was. Sure, they could get a little heated and it was fun, but nobody taking it that seriously other than Michael Jordan that I've ever heard of. It's Bob Ryan with us here. Bob, what did you find most interesting from episodes one and two? Hmm. From one to most interesting that, uh, to, to enlighten me. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked a lot. There was a lot of reinforcement stuff. The, the part, the person who I'm most interested in, in terms of, uh, because I did know him, and I have a, a viewpoint of him that is obviously at variance with the general public's, uh, is Jerry Krause. Uh, Jerry Krause is going to come out of this whole thing horribly maligned and, and, and trashed and vilified, and, and, and uh, he'll be the pinata, uh, he'll be demonized. He's been set up as the villain. Should he? Uh, and this is totally unfair. Uh, I thought the best line about Jerry Krause was the one, uh, and last night, and we, we heard last night, and I'm sure there'll be more, but probably none. To, it was Steve Kerr when he said, whatever he said about how he had done good things, and he said, but he couldn't get out of his own way. Jerry Krause, as a person, was his own worst enemy in that sense. Uh, he had an uh, undying need to, to, to get this credit. He, he was always trying to position himself in this jock world when, when he knew that people were ready to disparage him on the basis of everything, starting with his looks and appearance. Uh, and and who, what his background was as a in the scouting world of both uh, basketball and baseball, uh, etc. Uh, obviously, he was never a great athlete. You have to take one look at him to know that. And and, and he was defensive and sensitive. I knew Jerry Crow. I liked to do it. Now, what I'm about to say, I'm not saying that I'm uh, that I can prove it 100 percent, but I'm 98 and a third percent sure. There were three and only three certified FOJs in the media at the time. Friends of Jerry. One was Ira Bocow of the New York Times. Two was Joe Gilmartin of the Phoenix Gazette. And you're talking to the third one. And I met him when I was 23, 24 years old as a first rookie reporter for the Boston Globe. And I was meeting these scouts, you know, as part of your job, traveling and bumping into people. And, and I hit it off with Jerry Krause. He liked me. He thought I was uh, inquisitive and enthusiastic about basketball. Uh, he shared stuff with me. Uh, and, uh, uh, and we hit it off, and we remained friendly, you know, till the day he died. And I, it pains me to see him uh, vilified in this manner. Uh, he built a terrific team. No, he did not in, uh, draft Michael Jordan. That was Rod Thorne, and we can talk about that one, too. And I love Rod's admission that if the Olympics had taken place before the draft, that he never would have gotten, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't have gotten Michael Jordan. But Jerry Krause maneuvered to get been in a trade on draft day. He, he drafted Horace Grant. He drafted Charles Oakley, and they traded him wisely for Bill Cartwright, a very important piece of their puzzle. And signed John Paxton, did all kinds of good things. But yes, he had a, an annoying personal demeanor at, at times, and and then and you know it all blew up in the end with this whole dismantling of the team, which is certainly uh, I, I never understood quite completely. But the idea that Jerry Krause was incompetent or that he was a bad guy uh, or that he uh, didn't know what he was doing uh, is completely false. It just bothers me in documentaries when people pile on somebody who's not alive to defend themselves. Kind of like um, we saw, I watched Straight Outta Compton. Excellent movie, Paul Giamatti, great in it, Ice Cube, Sun, really good in it. But it always seemed like that they were piling things on Eze, who wasn't alive at that point to uh, refute some of the things that were being alleged of him. In fact, Jerry Krause, he reminds me of somebody we see in today's NFL. He reminds me of Dave Gettleman a little bit. The Carolina Panthers went to a Super Bowl in 2015 on the back of the moves that he made, but he was all evaluation, very little people skills, and even though Jerry Krause did all the things that you outlined, the lack of people skills and connection with the superstar athlete, it seems like to me, was a piece of his undoing as well, and also why nobody seems to put their neck out there and defend them in the basketball universe. All right, a couple things here. Number one, in in life, he was he, he had to defend himself after Sam Smith's book came out, uh, Jordan Rules. Sure, and. Uh, you know that that uh, that's where the people found out that they had uh, surreptitiously nicknamed him Crumbs for you know for the crumbs after he supposedly ate and all that, uh, and and that certainly was was, was 
disparaging to Joey, and he had to defend himself against that while he was alive. Here's something that they do not make an allusion to that, that, that I think was, would have been very fair and balanced. Oh, God, I hate to use that phrase. But uh, there would have been, would have been more uh, uh, complimentary to Joey. Do you know what his official nickname was in the basketball community? And it wasn't Crumbs. What's that? He was known far and wide among all, every, every general manager and every scout and probably every coach from the time he became a scout in, his, in the 1960s with the Bullets until he, until he uh, retired. He was known as the Sleuth. I don't know who gave him that nickname. I'm going to find out. I'm, 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 now, I'm, I'm rising to the defense of the, the late uh, Jerry Krause. He was nicknamed the Sleuth from his uh, M.O. as a scout. Now, I, when I entered, I entered the, 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 that little world, the, and it was a very, uh, a very interesting and, 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 and uh, uh, fun, amazingly fun world to enter the NBA of 1969, a very intimate league in which we were all in this thing together, players, coaches, referees, writers, uh, broadcasters. Uh, it was a big fraternity. Well, I inherited, uh, I got introduced to this community of scouts, guys such as as Gene Tormolin, nicknamed Bumper, Bob Furry Sr., uh, Dickie McGuire with the Knicks, and Jerry Krause, among others. And the thing about, he was nicknamed because his M.O. was secretive. Uh, a lot of them, they shared general information. They, were, they, they hung out together, they drank together. Jerry didn't take part of that. Jerry worked, you know, sneak, not sneakily, but privately and surreptitiously, and someone nicknamed him the sleuth in a kind of endearing way. It wasn't an insulting thing. It was a, it was a, a complimentary thing. And, I mean, yeah, I was joking, but, yeah, oh, Jerry's the sleuth. Uh-huh. Well, they knew he was smart, too. They knew that he, he, he made some very good moves. Well, it would have been nice if that was, somehow this had come out, that, that Jerry Kraft was respected in that for his acumen among his peers. And, uh, you know, when uh, people, uh, I have already found out at times today that uh, when, when uh, uh, people don't understand why he was hired because, and Joey Weinsdorf uh, was on a clip last night saying, well, oh, he was a scout when I hired him as the general manager, baseball scout. Yeah, he, he did scout for the White Sox. Uh, he was working for the same employer, remember, Weinsdorf and Joey Einhorn on both teams. Um, but the fact is he was a, his, had a very strong basketball background as well as a very strong baseball background. That's, and so he was nobody's fool, but he was his own worst personal enemy. Bob, it's just so good to hear from you, man. And I look forward to a time where things get back to normal. Maybe we can get lunch again in High Point. How's that sound? No, uh, let let us hope that it's. Uh, it, it, I'm, I'm not. I'm only hoping it's in the calendar year. Um, um, that would. That, that's the fondest. That's about as far as I can go. I hope it's this calendar year. You're the best, man. Hey, good to hear from you. Okay. All right, Josh. That's, that's Bob Ryan of ESPN. He's on Twitter at Globe Bob Ryan. Up next. What last night taught us about Hornets owner, Michael Jordan. Keep it here on The Drive. We handle our microphone slightly better than the Patriots' Bill Belichick. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Today's a big day to a certain portion of the audience. It's a day a lot of people have been circling, and it's worthy of celebration. Just thinking about it has me in a good mood. That's right. It is April 20th, which is Luke Keekley's birthday. That's right. Luke Keekley, 29 years old. That's what everybody is celebrating today. In fact, He had a really cool thing he did with elementary schoolers today where he streamed himself being quizzed questions about nature, about food, and also teaching us how to do push-ups correctly. Robert, when's the last time you've done push-ups? I do uh, 25 every morning, actually, when I get out of the shower. That's what I'm talking about, man. See, I haven't done any push-ups during this entire coronavirus pandemic. I usually went to nine round and I just knock it out there, but no push-ups during this entire thing for me, which has been rough. We have a special edition of 
Let's Get Crazy that we're going to do right now. For those who are unfamiliar, Let's Get Crazy. It's just hot takes. Bring the hot fire. No cold takes. We throw away journalistic integrity for about a 10-minute stretch each week. This is that stretch where we just get reckless with opinions and we just jump to conclusions. This week, rather than it being just red hot takes that we give you and a hip-hop air horn that you get rewarded with. This, Yes, that sound right there. We're going to do something just a little bit different. It's going to be half-baked ideas. It's still the same concept where rather than just leaping to a conclusion, it's a half-baked idea you might have in a special edition of Let's Get Crazy. sounds a little bit different than it normally does. Just a little bit. Robert, what's the sound people will hear if they have a hot take this time around? Robert had to explain to me this morning what exactly today was. I remember having this conversation. My dad is a D.A.R.E. officer. Do you know what D.A.R.E. stands for? Uh, Drugs are... Uh, remorsefully evil. I have no idea. That's not bad. It's drug awareness resistance education. Ah, that makes sense. That's what D.A.R.E. stands for. I remember one time I called my dad saying, is today a particularly busy day for you? And he's like, why would it be? I'm like, dad, it's 420. That's what I like to hear. He's like, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, dad... You might want to check the Google, maybe the Wikipedia. Don't give him any more information. Don't. don't I won't. <laughs> don't, I don't. I'm going to start out with a hot take here. And it regards the Michael Jordan documentary we saw last night. Because of the last dance, Chicago is going to be a primary free agent destination this summer for the likes of DeMar DeRozan who's going to be joined by Gordon Hayward and Joe Harris in Chicago next year. A lot different, a lot different than the class of free agents we had last summer. Correct. It was Kawhi. (laughs) Paul George was dealt. Chris Paul was traded. Russell Westbrook was traded. KD. Oh, my gosh. Kyrie Irving. A lot of movement. Tons of movement. Oh, yeah, that Kevin Durant guy. Yeah. Clay Thompson was a free agent. Now we're stuck with DeRozan, Gordon Hayward, Joe Harris, Fred Van Vliet, and Trez Harrell. That's where we're at a year later. Don't sleep on Fred. Don't sleep on Fred. He's coming back to the six. I loved him at Wichita State. That's all that matters. Robert. Let's get crazy. If you want it on the show, 336-777-1600. All right, I've got a half-baked idea for you. This is my idea. Everyone knows that the position that we use the bathroom in is not the natural position. It's constricting your insides. It doesn't allow easy travel. So what I've got is two steps that allow you to sit in a more natural bathroom-using position. And you would throw your feet up on it. It would allow for easy uh, excrement. And I call it uh, the uh, the poopy putty or the poopy pal. All you got to do is throw your feet up and it's super easy. Nobody's still my ideal. I'm trademarking it. I think it's a great idea. I think that already exists. No, don't, don't say that. I have a friend of mine who will not go bathroom anywhere else other than his house. That's it. Why? Because he has a yes. A he has pal? like a stool that he puts his feet on. I don't have any special equipment in my house, and that's the only place I take a deuce. Oh man! See, I think it's still a good idea, though. All right. How about this? We learned that LeBron James, when he won the championship in 2016 with Cleveland, the same day they were celebrating in the victory parade, Michael Jordan said yes on this project that has been put on the table for about 20 years. Taken off the table, put back on it. 
Michael Jordan wanted no part of it until LeBron had his victory day parade for the 16 finals. I think this gets LeBron in action mode. And the day of the last dance finale, LeBron is going to have a dunk contest with Zion Williamson earlier that day, just so he owns the news cycle that following Monday. Ooh. It's not a bad idea. If you're LeBron, why not? Or they drop the the new Space Jam 2 trailer. Wow! That day. How about they do that first commercial break of the Jordan <laughs> documentary? And just steal all the thunder. Everybody's going to be like, well, it wouldn't steal all of it, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. It would steal a lot of the thunder. Yeah. Aaron, let's get crazy. So today is a national holiday. You know, Luke Kuechly's birthday. You know, yeah. yeah. People off work and, you know, uh, post office clothes and stuff like that. Today will be, due to the current state of affairs, the most celebrated 420 in history. I think a lot of people going to wear their Keekly jerseys in oh, their yeah. home. Oh, yeah. Going to be walking around with those Keekly jerseys on. Wait, did you say the post office was closed? Yeah. Is that for real? No. <laughs> Robert, let's get crazy. Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay has caused a lot of excitement among free agents in the NFL. I think all of these disgruntled players like uh, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Leonard Fournette, Jamal Adams, they're just going to go out and ask for their release. They're not even going to get traded. And then they are all going to go sign with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on one-year deals for pennies on the dollar for the opportunity to play with Tom Brady. Wow. I'm all out of steam here. Do you guys have anything else? <laughs> I don't know about steam, but I got nothing. All right. Well, that's been a special edition of Let's Get Crazy. Jonathan Jones could have joined us in about one hour. CBS Sports. He has a mock draft out that has the New England Patriots taking Tom Brady, not Tom Brady, to a tug of a low That would be a crazy pick for New England. Uh, he has New England taking him at number 17. He thinks that Tua is going to fall, which is going to be interesting to see if either Herbert or Tua do fall in a way Aaron Rodgers did or Deshaun Watson did once upon a time. Seeing a lot of crazy things on the draft. Adam Schefter saying that the first ever uh, simulation of the draft, which occurred earlier today, the virtual draft, they had a run-through today. Apparently, things didn't go well because Schefter tweets, text from a participate in the NFL's mock draft that started at 1 Eastern. Quote, mock draft today already has a technical glitch with Cincinnati's first pick. Brutal. He also used three exclamation points. What you know GM? What GM do you think texted Schefter with three exclamation points? I wish there was an emoji in here too. You know, like an arm emoji or like an angry red face <laughs> oh, emoji. Like blowing the steam out of their nose emoji. Yeah. Brutal. Who would that be? Brandon Bean. Tom Telesco, maybe. I could see that. Brandon Bean. He's young and with it, but it does seem like a older move to use the three exclamation points. I could agree with that too. I'm looking at something Bud Light Seltzer has put out there. Apparently, they're having fans record themselves booing and having the hashtag boo the commish so that way... They can play it all in unison when Roger Goodell first steps to the microphone. Oh, wow. That is cool. I wonder if we could get the kids on there. That's mean and genius at the same Those time. Those boos, they're going to raise up to a half billion dollars for the NFL's draft-a-thon. So it's going to be part NFL draft, part telethon as well, because a lot of people are going to be watching. And feasibly, you could have funds raised 
for COVID-19 relief efforts. There are a lot of people critical of the NFL for going with the draft, going ahead with it. So I give them credit to the people who say they're not being thoughtful enough of everything that's happening in our country to try and spin it and say, hey, with a lot of people watching, it's ample opportunity for awareness and for raising money as well. So I think that's a cool thing and something good could come out of that. Coming up, the original Dave Gettleman. Keep it here on The Drive. Hey. 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 This is. What is this? The Drive. Oh, okay. Thank you. You Oh, God. With Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Call me crazy, but for me, I thought Scottie Pippen came off a lot worse than Jerry Krause did last night. I'm not a big fan of piling on people who are deceased and can't defend themselves, and neither is Julius Peppers, as he tweeted this out. One of the cooler things about The Last Dance, everybody's watching it, which means athletes from every single sports circle are chiming in on this. Peppers tweeted out, We've always known that Jerry Krause was the villain in the Bulls story, and his philosophy on that particular team was highly questionable. But while we magnify his shortcomings and make jokes, let's not forget that man is deceased and isn't here to defend himself. Exactly. Krause isn't here to defend himself, so people are making him out to be Carol Baskin. At least Carol Baskin is alive and kicking, despite the best efforts of Joe Exotic. And she can speak for herself against allegations made against her. This is kind of like when Eazy-E was thrown under the bus for all the transgressions and all the beef in the relationship of N.W.A. All of that came to a head and straight out of Compton where all the band members are featured in it and Easy e is dead. So, hey, let's just throw a bunch of stuff on Easy. it felt like. Scottie Pippen admitted on camera to purposefully sabotaging the team when he decided to have his surgery right before the start of the 97-98 season. He said, and it's the most memorable quote from the doc, I wasn't gonna bleep my summer up. Think about that. Think about what would have happened today if somebody did something similar. He was sticking at the Krause, sure, but he was sticking at the Krause for a bad contract that he agreed to. Read some of the reporting Mark Stein of the New York Times has done today on this subject. Scotty was very familiar with the negotiating practices of the Bulls and Jerry Reinstor. If you sign a contract, do not come back to us wanting extensions. Don't do it. That's not how we operate. It was a different time in sports, but Scotty understood how things were going to work. Also... He was told, apparently by his agent, by people close to him, that he was worth more than this contract. Don't sign such a long-term deal. He did it anyway. So to the people saying, oh, Scotty needs to fire his agent because of this contract, apparently his agent had the foresight and said, Scotty, you probably shouldn't sign this deal. The doc, it conveniently left out a lot of details regarding Scotty Pippen. One, that Krause traded for him. Two, it leaves out Scottie Pippen made $20 million more than Michael Jordan did in his professional playing career. Ah, but he played more. Three more seasons, yes. But this idea that Scottie is just collecting crumbs and pennies, it's just not factual. It's misleading to suggest Scottie Pippen didn't get his. He certainly did with Houston and Portland after he finished up with Chicago. 
the origin story. This is the part that bothered me the most. In the origin story of Pippin, which was the second episode, they very conveniently left out when Jordan left to play baseball. Scotty was the guy they leaned on. And I think it was in a playoff game, in a playoff series. Seven seconds left to go. The Bulls are drawing up a play to win the game. And Phil draws up a play for Tony Kukoc. Scotty hated this. Scotty got so upset on the spot, he refused to check into the game. He stayed on the bench. Tony hit the shot still, and Scotty remained on the bench. This is the masterstroke of coaching that best represents why Phil Jackson might be the greatest. Rather than step in and ream Scotty for being a bad teammate, he didn't go into the locker room at all. He let the team hash it out. Apparently, Bill Cartwright was in tears. He let the team get past that. But that wasn't mentioned in the documentary at all. And I thought it would have been pretty convenient to bring that up as Jordan's calling him a selfish player, saying what he was doing is selfish for saying he didn't want to bleep his summer up and have surgery at the start of the year or at the end of the offseason because he was upset about a contract. Having that hurt the 97-98 Bulls, it would have been relevant to bring up Scotty remaining on the bench as Tony Kukoc hit the, hit the game-winning shot. So I thought it was convenient to leave that out. Scotty, he is there to defend himself. I thought he made an ass of himself. Scotty Pippen came off worse than Jerry Krause, who wasn't alive to defend himself. 336-777-1600, the number on Twitter at Sports Tried. Mark and Greensboro once in on Krause. What do you feel about the way he was perceived last night, Mark? Hey, Josh. Um, I, I, I disagree with you. I mean, I'm, you know, not vehemently, but I, just on splitting hairs. I actually was just about to bring up the Coach game because, I was, listen, when I was a kid, this Bulls team, whether from 90 to, you know, and probably well, all the way until I graduated high school, yeah. was everything, right? Uh, getting excited about the intro song. Everything about this team was just unbelievable, right? So, of course, I'm super pumped about last night. But to get to the point, yeah, he did that against Kukoc. But could you imagine if Phil Jackson did that to Jordan? He never would have. So, I think I think Scotty, I think Scotty looked at that as a slight as well. Probably shouldn't have sat himself out of the game. But I wonder if Michael, being kind of the ultimate Alpha Dog would have said no, Phil. And in a lot of in a lot of more expletives, he would have said, "There's no way Tony's hitting, taking the shot. I'm taking the shot." So I don't think Scotty felt like that would have ever happened to a, a Jordan team. That's the first point. The second point is Jerry Krause was grooming Phil Jackson's replacement, yeah. of the terrible Tim Floyd, literally in the face of this team. It was it, it, that point alone. I'm sorry. Takes anything that Scotty did or what Michael did in making fun of the guy. I'm not happy. I mean, obviously the guy's dead, so he can't defend himself. But that point alone, forget about being invited to the wedding. That's stupid. The idea that he's bringing this guy around, you know, bring you know, parading him around, and, and obviously he used that. And they were a terrible team once he broke this all up. So the fact that that alone, I think, it negates almost anything that Scotty did because. Let's face it, Jordan was my favorite player growing up. When you look back at it as a as an adult, he was the ultimate selfish player in terms of this is my team. I'm going to play the way I want to play. And for him for him to call Scotty selfish, I laughed. I actually laughed because I'm like, Mike, I mean, come on, man. You're 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 the poster child for ball hog, for selfish play. You won, so it made everything better. It's so, so Jordan. It's so Jordan. Thank you for the call, Mark. And what's funnier about it is that he also does not channel any of that in the way that he's owned the Charlotte Hornets. It's almost like they're two separate people, player Mike and owner Mike. And also I'd add a third category, North Carolina player Mike. Uh, I loved the way that they brought North Carolina into the documentary. It was a massive weekend recruiting-wise for North Carolina and football adding a couple players from the triad to give them the number two recruiting class. Uh, Roy was very good in this doc. Just give me a little bit of Roy throwing a hundred miles per hour last night on episode, episode one of the doc. 
I can't pick one moment. And when I think of Michael Jordan, yes, I think of the shot. But I think of three years of watching that youngster get better and better and better. Michael Jordan's the only player that could ever turn it on and off. And he never freaking turned it off. I remember getting to know Tim Floyd as an aside when he was UTEP's head coach. Uh, I remember he got thrown out of a game in Greenville, America. Like the referees threw him out and he refused to leave and they had to get security bring him out as he was ripping off his jacket and losing his mind. He made Jim Beheim in at Duke that one time seem like a nun in a church considering how upset he was that given evening about 10 years ago, a dozen years ago. Lose track of time sometimes. What is the best case scenario for the Panthers in the draft? Jonathan Jones will join to discuss next. Providing you with the latest sports news, commentary, and analysis. Plus tips on how to cheat at bingo. Oh, 69. Bingo! You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I love draft week, and I love following stuff from our next guest, Jonathan Jones, CBS Sports, who you can follow on Twitter at jjones9. You got a mock draft out there, some interesting things in that mock, but what I love about this week, and it's perfect for sports radio, there are just rumors and teams trying to manipulate the media to try and affect the draft. Do you have a good example of a rumor or something that's been put out there that you just purely dismiss as something that's trying to manipulate the media in order to change things that happened Thursday night, Jonathan? Yeah, so first of all, Josh, thanks for having me on. Of course. Yeah, I think the, the leak, the report, if you will, that came out earlier today that the Giants are really doing their strong due diligence on Justin Herbert there at number four. <laughs> Listen, I don't doubt that they've had conversations with him. I don't doubt that the Giants like him as a quarterback. Are they going to take him at number four or anywhere close to it? No. Of course they aren't. They have Daniel Jones, and taking, uh, pulling a Josh Rosen slash Kyler Murray uh, with Daniel Jones would spell the end of Dave Gettleman's tenure uh, in New York. So, yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, that obviously was all about, hey, we're interested in quarterbacks, and we definitely want to trade down so somebody who wants to get up in front of Miami come and get it. Uh, so that one was a little ridiculous. I saw another one earlier today that said, the Atlanta Falcons picking at number 16 currently would want to work themselves into the top five, which would involve, I guess, them trading Arthur Blank uh, as well. I don't know where they're going to get all the capital to move up to, to get, what, Jeff Akuda when they can have C.J. Henderson or uh, uh, Xavier McKinney. Anyway, it, 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 we get this all the time, all this water cooler talk, even though there aren't any water coolers to talk around right now. Uh, in the age of coronavirus. But those are the two that have really been like, what are we talking about, guys? Let's get to your mock draft. You have Tua going to the New England Patriots at pick 17, which is Dallas's pick. You have him trading up, but you have Tua falling that far. Why? Uh, medicals. Uh, you know, he obviously had the ankle last year. He had the hip this previous season. Um, listen, yeah, I saw the, the same video as you all did uh, of his pro day. I've seen him post on Instagram, and all that stuff looks fine, fair, and well. You know, Cam Newton's also posting on on Instagram right now, and so is Jameis Winston, and no one's taking a chance on those guys. One, because of salary, which they don't have to worry about with Tua, obviously, but also, uh, and most importantly, because of their injury history. And, you know, when it comes to Tua, this is a very serious hip injury. Remember when it happened, we were all talking about, is this like the Bo Jackson hip injury that ended his career, one of the greatest athletes of all time? And so we're not that far removed from that. And because of that, uh, you know, his doctors can keep putting out all these fantastic progress reports. His agents can tell it to reporters like me, and reporters like myself can put those things out there. But NFL teams want their own doctors that they pay a lot of money to to have uh, have them put their hands on Tua and to, uh, you know, have Tua's hip in their hands, quite literally. And because they cannot do that uh, right now, spending a top five pick on Tua is very difficult because when you have a top five or six pick, as the Dolphins and then the Chargers do, that's an all-pro selection. That's a, that's a potential gold jacket kind of thing. And that's not to say that Tua doesn't possess those talents, but because of the injury, that has clouded so much. And so I see his value right now because of the injury is being something more like a mid-first-round value rather than taking 
him at five or six and saying, all right, he is our guy, and then in two or three years finding out that his career is done, for example. CBS Sports NFL senior writer Jonathan Jones with us on Sports Hub. Try and follow him on Twitter at jjones9 and see his mock draft there as well. Isaiah Simmons, you have him to the Panthers at seven. Last week I said that would be the best case scenario for Carolina if he were to fall that far. Do you view Simmons as the best case for Carolina? It would be, and it's just the way that my mock style. I can tell you this. Uh, through my reporting, that the Panthers are very prepared and ready to take Derek Brown, the defensive tackle out of Auburn there, at seven, in large part because they do not believe that Isaiah Simmons is going to fall to them. In my mock draft, of course, I only had one trade. That was the Los Angeles Chargers going from six to three with the Detroit Lions to get Justin Herbert. Um, and then if the Dolphins go offensive tackle there, things start to open up because you believe that the Giants, even though all their fans want Isaiah Simmons, I believe the Giants will go offensive tackle there because Nate Solder has been so bad. And at some point, they have to build in the trenches along the offensive line. And so then, what do you know? Isaiah Simmons, one of the best athletes in this entire draft, is right there for the Carolina Panthers, whose defense has been completely decimated uh, through attrition, uh, be it free agency, trades, cuts, or retirement. So Simmons would be fantastic there. But again, if Simmons is gone... Uh, and the Panthers are are anticipating that he likely will be gone by the time they're on the clock at number seven. They are prepared to take Derrick Brown. All right, that's a lot of football. Let's get to the most important stuff. Jordan Doc last night, The Last Dance, episodes one and two. JJ, I saw on Twitter you with the intro music and all displaying all of your Michael Jordan jerseys that you own. For people who haven't seen it, how many Jordan jerseys do you have? So, yeah, you can you can uh, go uh, to my Twitter, at jjones9, to see that video. I retweeted it. My fantastic and beautiful girlfriend, Madeline Burke, uh, put that together. Um, <laughs> I have four Michael Jordan jerseys. It starts with his McDonald's All-American jersey. So um, that's a real that's a throwback. Uh, we moved into the Joseph Forte era North Carolina jerseys, um, the one with the big NC emblem on the front that we all thought were hideous back then. I think they've made a comeback. Uh, that we then moved to the Chicago Bulls number 12 nameless Michael Jordan jersey. Excellent. We remember, of course, Valentine's Day in 1990 against the Orlando Magic when someone stole his 23 jersey and he had to wear 12. And then I followed it up with an all-star game jersey. Uh, for Michael Jordan. So those four, I don't have any of the 23s or 45s. You know, that when you wear a jersey, you want to be the only one who's wearing that jersey. And so because of that, I hope to have four Michael Jordan jerseys that no one else is wearing. Man, it's so you, because you also have J. Jones 9 at your Twitter handle because you didn't want to be the kid that wore 23, so you wore 9. You want to be different. That's right. That's right. Because, listen, if I, were, if I was out there wearing 23, I'd have a bullseye on my back. Everybody would target me. I'd be yeah. like, okay, he thinks he's good. And then i go out there, and then as a kid, when I was good, I'm, I'm no longer good. I haven't been good in like 20 years. But when I was good, they would target me if I wore 23. But if I wore nine, they'd have no clue. They'd just say, all right, yeah, he's like the tall mixed kid. Maybe he has some decent handles, but we don't have to worry about him too much. And then by the end of the first quarter, I've completely lit up the scoreboard. That's when they start double-teaming. But early on, I didn't want the double-team. Bright cleats in soccer, same deal. You always target the guy wearing bright cleats. Before we let you go, got about a minute left here. Your favorite part of episodes one and two? Oh, gosh. Um, all of the, you know, honestly, everything that they had to say, all the jokes at Jerry Krause's expense were, uh, were funny. Um, you know, the thing with, yeah, I was a big Bulls fan growing up. A lot of us were, obviously. And uh, for the older crowd who obviously lived through this, uh, when I was a kid, who, who when they were adults, they remember a lot of this. And it's okay that episodes one and two are sort of laying the foundation. But I am waiting, really, to get into the meat of this documentary, all of this footage from the 97-98 season, which, you know, we have yet to see. And the best part about last night for me was, yeah, I remember what Jordan did at North Carolina, obviously, at my alma mater, and then his rookie season and breaking his foot in the second season. Um, and it's great to hear from him and Scottie Pippen, today but what i want to see is the footage that has been locked up in the vault for 22 years and so what we were able to see uh, all of them just joking at jerry krause's expense that was fantastic uh and i hope that at some point especially because the man isn't here to defend himself anymore having passed a couple years ago that at some point they do uh redeem him in some way because he did build uh six championship winning teams 
JJ, you're the best. It's good to hear your voice. Stay safe as well and keep up the good work. Appreciate you. You got it. That's Jonathan Jones on Twitter at jjones9. Yeah, I hope they shift away from the Kraus stuff. I really do. I don't know if they're going to because I don't know what's locked up in that vault, but I have a strong feeling that this documentary is going to get better, not worse, as we go on. Because here's what I'm told. Episode 3 is going to be on Dennis Rodman. Episode 3 is going to be on The Worm and the same way Episode 2 is on Scotty. God knows what we're going to find in that. But then again, how is it going to be much different or much more profound than the actual 30 for 30 we saw on Rodman? Aaron, why are you doing visual jokes where you're kissing your fingers multiple times when the audience cannot see you? Because it's not for the audience. It was for you. It's for me. It's for you. It's for Robert. So you understand. Why'd you do it twice? Dennis Rodman is fantastic. Dennis Rodman is a criminally underrated basketball player. What? He is. He's the greatest defensive player we've ever seen. I think people acknowledge that. He's still criminally underrated. Who, Who is underrating Dennis Rodman? I will say that sometimes maybe his antics maybe get or overshadow his prowess on the basketball court. Yeah, and I don't know if everybody's calling him the best defensive player of all time. Who is if it's not Rodman? I don't know, maybe Matumbo. I, like, I don't know. I don't think about stuff like this on a whim. I want to know what kind of stuff you do think about. Well, today I'm kind of just biding my time until uh, 5750 so I can go home and uh, eat a nice steak. Celebrate April the 20th, Luke's which is birthday. Luke Keekley's birthday. Dude, I, I'm going to break out my uh, a nice can of Pepsi. I'm going to watch some old uh, home uh, CPI. There you go, CPI commercials. Oh, can't wait. See if you can find his great Pepsi commercial. Uh, I'd rather not. Oh, we have to relive it. It's April the 20th. This is what everybody is celebrating. The career of Luke Keekley. It's his birthday. Um, I mean, that's why everybody turns on their lighters. They turn it on to pay honor to Luke Keekley, Like the way that you do like at a memorial service or something. That's mm-hmm. what they do. The lighters come on because you're paying homage to Luke Keekley. It's his birthday. That's why everybody is celebrating 420. Mm-hmm. All right. Check it out, guys. My new Pepsi nickname cans are here. Drink up. Uh, Luke, can I get one too? Sorry, man. Those are my last two. Guess you're out of Luke. <laughs> I, I forgot. I totally forgot is about it. Right? Yeah, it's just Okay, really you can puns. stop it now. Thank God. We needed the joke and... That's all we needed. They tried so hard to make him like, let's let's get a nickname. What's a nickname so we can sell Luke some more? What what's something we can sell on Luke? Oh, he's just good at football. Dang it. Dang nabbit. He's also really good at video games and fishing. I bet he's not good at video games. I bet he's good at video games like Tetris or Pong. I don't think he'd be actually good at Call of Duty. I the would, Sims. Uh, yeah, the Sims, exactly. <laughs> Zoo Tycoon. Like, I'm looking more at this mock draft that JJ put out there. He has Tampa trading up to number eight to draft Tristan Wirfs with the Giants taking Jedrick Wills at number four. Akuda falling to number six because the Chargers trade up to draft Herbert. And because of the medicals, Tua falls to number 17 where the Patriots swoop in, trade up to the Cowboys spot to select Tua. And I'm looking forward at some of these other picks. C.J. Henderson in the top 10 to the Jags. (laughs) What are you laughing at? I just don't think C.J. Henderson's going to go in the top 10 of any draft ever. Maybe the military draft because his name starts with a C. I'm trying to find other spots. Makai Becton, he's at number 10 even though we learned about the drug test this past weekend. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be as big of a deal though since the whole you can't get suspended for smoking weed stuff. And he never got in trouble for that in college. So I I don't think that'll impact Neither did Laramie Tunsil. I mean, but he was visually... We've learned that if there is a video of you doing something compared to words of you doing something, Ray Rice will attest to this, it is a much worse offense. <laughs> Whether they know that you knocked your fiancé out or not, 
them seeing it is a way worse offense than just them saying it. Larry Tunsil. What about him? My man put on the whole yeah. gas mask. Happy Luke Keekley's birthday. Yay. To Laramie Tunsil. Wait, kids, no. Put that oh, and no. a, and a Mackay Becton. Good for him. Happy Luke Keekley's birthday. On Twitter at Sports Up Try It if you want to chime in on today's show. So I can't ask Robert this question because he didn't watch the documentary last night. I feel like I have after all day today, though. What is the most fascinating moment from it? 336-777-1600. Because I've narrowed it down to these five. Is it Michael avoiding, quote, the traveling cocaine circus? Nope. <laughs> that was the mid-80s Chicago Bulls? Oh, I didn't do any of it. I just saw them do it. Was it Danny Ainge and MJ playing golf together the day before Jordan dropped 63 in a game against Boston? <laughs> Is it MJ openly just trashing Jerry Krause, saying that, asking him if those are his diet pills and the pills that keep him shorter, also telling teammates to keep a championship trophy away from Krause? Ooh. And MJ saying or asking Krause if he would like to do layups. And if so, I'll lower the rim. (laughs) Is it Bob Knight calling Jordan the greatest player ever back in 1984? Mm -mm. Is it Larry Bird saying that wasn't Michael Jordan playing? That was God disguised as Michael (laughs) Jordan playing in 1986? Was it MJ's drink glass? Uh-uh. What is the most interesting thing to you then, Aaron? I've listed off about six or seven things here. The most interesting thing was the 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 reintroduction to the human psyche of young, head full of hair, gold chain Michael Jordan. Spectacular. The drip. Is there a specific moment? Did he do the dunk contest with the chains on? He did. Oh, that was sweet. It was so sweet. He got fined for that, too. But that's him, man. He was the original two chains. Hold on a second. Don't say anything else. That was rough. 336-777-1600 if you want in on today's show. No, that was it. That's all I had. Oh, I thought you had something else for me. So those are the most fascinating moments to me from episodes one and two. But as JJ noted, the best stuff from last night, it was the stuff in the vault. It was the stuff that we weren't able to see in 97, 98, where he's telling Ron Harper, get your bleep together at practice. Like, is this the season? I don't think this is the season. Where MJ punched Steve Kerr in the face. (laughs) Like MJ punched, cold cocked Steve Kerr in the face during a practice, and was not punished for it at all because he's MJ. Why did he punch him? Things just got testy. Steve wouldn't get to a spot. I want to see that, and I think it's going to get better as the documentary goes further because there is going to be more of that. We're going to see more from the vault. These first two episodes just set everything up. Backstory on Scotty, backstory on... The 97-98 team, Michael Jordan leading up to this last dance. I think after we get through the Worms back story, we're going to see a lot more from the vault. And that's what I'm interested in. Robert, what do you got in Ticket to the House today? Why I'm going to puff puff pass on today's celebratory activities. Luke Keekley's birthday. 